From Audio Boom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Fifteen seconds. Guidance is internal. Ten, nine, ignition sequence start. Space nuts. Five, four, three, two. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. Space nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello once again and thank you for joining Space Nuts, the astronomy podcast with Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory and I'm your host Andrew Dunkley. And this week we're going to look at uh, the Jade Rabbit mission which uh, has been sort of working away in the background for uh, for you know, a little while now and uh, we, we've heard bits and pieces of it but uh, we don't really know a heck of a lot. Fred will, I don't, I just uh, have heard about it. And uh, we, we told you well, probably a month or so ago about the discovery of a new particle, what they thought was evidence of a new particle, and um, uh, everyone was really excited. Well, it seems that uh, that evidence has all but vanished, and uh, the question now arises as to whether or not we've, we've missed something. And, and the big question that's, that's popped up is, uh, have we actually got the dark matter thing wrong? Uh, Fred will know the answer to that, of course. Good morning, Fred. Good morning, Andrew. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm very well. Nice to talk to you again. Yes, I should say good afternoon or good evening. It depends on what time your listeners are listening to you. <laughs> yes, we, we, we're just recording this one in the morning, <laughs> our time at this point in time, but that can vary depending on, yeah, as you say. And uh, unusually, we're both on the same time zone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, which won't be happening That's soon. That's right. Um, now, let's talk about China's Jade Rabbit uh, mission, which uh, went to the moon a few years ago now, as it turns out, and has been sort of hopping around there, boom, boom, uh, doing its stuff. Um, they're about to wind it all down. It's, it's, it's all over Red Rover. Uh, let's just reflect on it for a moment. Uh, China's become one of the, uh, the big players in space. And as you and I mentioned last week, you know, 20 years ago, there were only two players in the game, or 40 years ago. Uh, th that's rapidly changing with now private companies in space and other countries, India, um, so many involved in, in trying to explore space, exploit space, <laughs> harvest space and objects in space. It's all, uh, and, and space tourism, of course, it's, it's all getting very exciting. Uh, but China is is one of the one of the big guns. Uh, it would be fair to say now, and they've been on the moon for the last few years. Why so? Well, you're quite right, Andrew. That China's um, you know China's exploits in space are very impressive indeed. They've of course had uh, astronauts, taikonauts, I think they're called, uh, in mm. orbit around the Earth. Um, but um, they also became uh, the first country after. Uh, Russia and the United States to make a soft landing on the moon um, back in December 2013 when this spacecraft arrived. It's a space mission called uh, Chang'e 3. Chang'e was uh, the moon, Chinese moon goddess. Uh, I'm probably not pronouncing that properly, but um, the Chinese moon goddess 
actually had a pet rabbit in Chinese legend, and that pet rabbit was called Yutu, or Jade Rabbit. And, Aha. and the spacecraft itself had a pet rabbit called U2. Uh, so the Jade Rabbit um, moon rover uh, essentially landed on the moon with Chang'e in December 2013 and made the headlines. I mean, it, it was a big story that the Chinese had landed a spacecraft on the, on the moon and managed to deploy a rover. Uh, we... We knew that the initial phase of the landing was successful. The rover uh, was deployed on the moon's surface. It actually did a circumnavigation of the Chang'e spacecraft, the lander itself. Uh, so it trolled around it, taking, they took photographs of each other <laughs> as this happened. And then what was supposed to happen was that the, uh, the, the, the lander itself was going to basically put itself to sleep for the lunar night. Uh, now, remember, the moon goes around the Earth once in about 29 and a half days. Mm -hmm. Lunar night, uh, uh, so it also rotates on its axis in the same length of time. So one day on the moon is basically 29 and a half of hours. Uh, and it, it uh, means that it's dark for 14 days, thereabouts, 14 and a half days. What, because the moon has no atmosphere, that means the temperature plummets to somewhere in the region of minus 150 degrees Celsius. During the day, the temperature, surface temperature is about is more than 100 degrees Celsius positive, above, above zero, very hot. But during yeah. the night, it's very cold. And it's because there's no blanket, blanket of atmosphere. So be like living in Canada. <laughs> Could even be worse than that. <laughs> I think. <laughs> so what Jade Rabbit was supposed to do was fold up its solar panels uh, in such a way that they protected the, uh, the internal electronics from the cold of, of space. Um, that did not happen properly. When the uh, first lunar night came along, uh, the solar panels uh, basically misfolded in some way. So it, did not, it didn't really um, operate as, as intended. And many of us, I guess, thought, well, that was the end of the mission um, because when the lunar day came, uh, there was really no sign of a signal uh, from the spacecraft, and we all thought that was the end of it. But the Chinese engineers worked hard, and during the next lunar night and the following lunar day, it turned out that the spacecraft could be woken up, the rover could be woken up. So Jade Rabbit actually uh, started communicating with Earth. The one problem was that its rover controls, its power to the wheels, was now defunct, so it couldn't actually rove. In other words, Jade Rabbit was stuck where it was. So sadly, it was no longer hopping about the lunar surface. Uh, it was stuck in one place. But it still could do the experiments that it was built uh, mm. to do. Um, so uh, slightly more limited, of course, because um, some of the experiments, and these are findings that really have, uh, I think, um, uh, inspired lunar scientists, uh, one of the, the, the basically the, the spacecraft carried geology experiments to sample what the material was like. It turns out that where the spacecraft landed, um, it is uh, it's in one of the lunar seas. Uh, it has much uh, a, a rather different 
by seas I mean the old uh, you know they, these were called Maria because people thought they were seas we now know that they're they're basalt uh, basalt um, flows so they were seas once but rather hotter than water they were molten molten lava effectively so um, it was found that um, the material of the uh, of the uh, uh, the landing site is different from the material of where the Apollo landers uh, got down, which was also in some of these lunar maria. So that in itself is an interesting discovery. The, these basalt plains are, are different. They're not all the same. Um, but more especially, uh, you two carried a ground-penetrating radar, which means that you can sample the material beneath the soil that you're sitting on, and it actually uh, turns out that there are something like 20 geological layers underneath the rover, a far more complex geology than anybody expected it to find. Um, it's uh, one of these things that was really a surprise. It's sad that the rover couldn't trundle over the surface because then you could build a map of this underground geology with a ground-penetrating radar. But... Uh, to find just that, that there's all these different geological strata underneath. Whereas I think lunar geologists, selenographers, I guess they might be called, um, they would have expected it to be far more homogeneous below the spacecraft rather than have this layered structure. So big discoveries that have come from it. Uh, why is it, yeah. why is it um, in the news now? It's been shut down. After its 31 months of, its, uh, of exploration, it has actually uh, outlived its expected lifespan by a considerable fraction. So it's done very, very yeah. I think it, I think it's sort of lasted ten times longer. Yeah, something than like that. Plan. That's right. It's yeah. extraordinary. So farewell, you two. But congratulations to the Chinese on a on a marvelous mission. Yes, and and one wonders where they're going to go next. What they're going to do next? I mean, they're they're sending people into orbit. They're they're very much at the forefront of. Uh, space technology and space exploration? I mean, have they got eyes on Mars or anything um, like that? I'm sure they do. But uh, just to, to sort of add a footnote to that, the, the Chang'e um, ser series of missions, this one is Chang'e 3. Um, I think there, is, there are two more planned. Uh, Chang'e 5 will actually land and bring back samples from the moon. That is the, that is the goal of the Chang'e program, which is a very, very uh, ambitious goal, and we wish them well in it. Yeah, it just prompts the question, look, we've, we've already done this. We did it, you know, 40 years ago. So why do we need to do it again? Well, it's like, um, you know, OK, imagine uh, an alien uh, civilization sending spacecraft to the, moon, to the, to the Earth. Um, they land in central Australia and take samples uh, so they go back home and say, now we know what the Earth is like. It's very dusty. There's very dry. There's not ah, much gosh. here. Um, and that's the whole Earth. It's the same with the moon. Um, the more you can explore the moon, the more you know about it, and perhaps more we know about its origins, and maybe whether one day we might be bringing home resources from the moon. Mm. All right. Well, that makes more sense and much more wise in, in the thinking. <laughs> there. Uh, I think just to finish off, uh, one of the great photos that came back from that mission was the rover silhouetted against the earth on the horizon. Uh, um, that's, I don't know if that was a composite or if it was, but it's a very clever yeah, picture. I think, it, I think it's probably a composite, but it's a very nice mm. one. I agree with you. Yeah, it is indeed. <laughs> uh, you're listening to Space Nuts with Andrew Dunkley and my name's... Um, <laughs> 
My name's Andrew Dunkley, and that is Fred Watson. Yeah. You I'd do that one day. Pretty spaced out these days. Three, two, one. Space Nuts. Now, Fred, uh, something that you and I have talked about uh, many times over the years and quite a few times on our podcast, to be perfectly honest, and something you've actually seen uh, in person at the Large Hadron Collider is the way they do particle analysis. And uh, they've made some amazing discoveries uh, not so long ago. Uh, what has been described as the God particle was discovered. And, and more recently, only... Um, uh, in, in the last, well, little while, they found what they thought was a brand new particle unseen before. Uh, and the world was very excited, the uh, scientific world particularly. But uh, the news has gone sour because the evidence of that supposed discovery has basically vanished. <laughs> uh, it, it is. This is... Um... Uh, in some ways it's a downbeat story but i'm sure we can talk it up <laughs> because there is uh, there is still you know there is still a lot to be learned from this you're quite right um back in december 2015 there were hints of a little blip in the data coming back from two of the experiments on the large hadron collider so these this gigantic machine uh, not very far from geneva a 27 kilometer long more or less circular tunnel with um, with uh, protons uh, running through two pipes in it uh, in opposite directions they're actually only the pipes that the protons go through are only probably 50 millimeters across very very small uh, and they're quite close together and these things are carrying protons in opposite directions at very close to the speed of light and then in four places around the uh, circumference of this uh, this circle uh, these uh, these beams can be brought together to collide and um, two of those places have experiments one called atlas one called cms cms stands for the compact muon solenoid uh, compact is not the word I would have used to describe it. I've stood next to it, deep under the under the soil of uh, of uh, the Geneva Plains, and it's sort of you know it's something like 15 meters high, and probably 20 meters long in this gigantic cavern under the under the ground. Extraordinary engineering, absolutely extraordinary engineering. Anyway, back in um, December, the fact that both these experiments, which are quite unrelated, the only thing they have in common is that they're both using the same streams of, of particles, the same beams of particles. But they both showed a little blip uh, at a particular energy. Um, <clears throat> if I remember rightly, it was 760 giga electron volts, but that's not, not really, you know, it doesn't matter what the number is. The fact is that they, they were both showing this little blip at a certain energy, and that uh, inevitably... Um, got people excited that there is something that is just starting to reveal itself that is beyond what we call the standard model of physics. And that's really what the whole thrust of things at the LHC is, the Large Hadron Collider, is now, <clears throat> to try and pick holes in our understanding of the world of physics at its most fundamental levels. Why do we want to do that? Because we know that the standard model is wrong. Um, it works incredibly well. It covers almost everything that we see and know, but at least one aspect of it just doesn't make sense. And, and that particular aspect is the one that astronomers have discovered. Um, we know from our observations of the way galaxies behave in particular that 
the matter that we can see, the stars and gas and dust, can only make up something like um, a sixth of the matter that is actually out there. Um, the gravitational fields of galaxies and clusters of galaxies, many, many different sorts of observations have demonstrated this, that something like uh, uh, you know, five times more uh, uh, of, of the material that we can see is invisible. And uh, it's been narrowed down to, to being some kind of massive subatomic particle that does not interact with normal matter. It doesn't interact with light, so it doesn't radiate light or, or energy of any kind. But it does have gravity. That's mm. a huge mystery, um, which the particle physicists think they can work out because um, the particle physicists have a theory which is called supersymmetry. And it says that for every particle in the universe, there is um, a hidden shadow particle, a supersymmetric particle that we don't see under normal circumstances. So this is the, the sort of pet theory of particle physics. And as yet, it is not proven. But if it was, it would provide a framework within which we could understand the observations that we make in the universe that say dark matter is real. So we know dark matter is real, but we don't know what it is. And that's why there was such excitement back in December about this little blip in the data that might just have been <clears throat> the first signs of a supersymmetric particle. That seems now to have gone away. Uh, because what these particle physicists do is they... They repeat, they repeat, they repeat. They have many billions of collisions between particles. <clears throat> and they're trying to build up a picture with a confidence level. Um, it's all about statistics. What you want to do is, is get the highest level of confidence that what you're seeing is real. That's what happened, as you said, with the so-called God particle, the Higgs boson, back in 2012. They detected it and then built up their confidence that proved that it actually existed. That has not happened with these two little blips. They've built up the confidence and basically these particles have disappeared. So, And, and do, do we know why they've disappeared or, or, it's just, or, did, or could it have just been a, an, an error in the data? Yeah, it's, well, the, the, the data's got errors in it already. And, you know, sometimes those errors look as though you're seeing something real. Uh, and clearly it wasn't. So the, 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 it's just disappeared. The more uh, information that's come in, um, the smoother the curve, the graph looks without the blip. And so uh, effectively they're saying, well, that is just a statistical fluke probably. Um, and that is now considered uh, not to be uh, a discovery. I mean, it, it was, it, it, the BBC said, and this encapsulated, thousands of scientists at CERN, where, where the Large Hadron Collider is, were hoping that they might be on the verge of one of the all-time biggest discoveries in science, even bigger than the Higgs. And it would be. If we found supersymmetry, it would open the door to things like hidden dimensions, um, maybe even the multiverse, multiple universes, all that stuff. Anyway, um, uh, the BBC goes on to say, the experiment wore on and the bump dis disappeared. Irregularities like this come and go in particle physics. So it didn't come as a huge surprise to the scientists, but there was obvious disappointment. So Yeah, oh, they, they, definitely. It'd be like sending a probe to a far distant planet and the thing landing and not turning on. Yeah. That It would be that gut-wrenching. Because the amount of work um, that goes into these things is unfathomable to me, but I understand it. 
um, in terms of, of the dedication involved. So to have it all sort of fade away to nothing is it's got to be yeah you've got to start again basically in that regard yes yeah that that's um that's right and and in fact you know the fact that it's disappeared it's what it's doing is it's getting physicists looking more closely at, at the idea of supersymmetry is it just a figment of their imagination uh something that would neatly account for things or is the standard model is there something we're missing in the standard model of the universe that that would actually allow these supermassive particles to exist that cause the dark matter? We know it's there. The dark matter kind mm. of is um, is a proven fact. Uh, I should should just add that astronomers themselves, back in the 1980s, when they were really getting convinced about the existence of dark matter, they took a, a backward step and said, "Look, are we missing something here?" And in particular, there was one theory put forward um, by a man called Mordechai Milgram in Israel, which is called MOND. MOND stands for Modified Newtonian Dynamics. And what it suggests is that acceleration doesn't behave on, on very large scales, that acceleration doesn't behave the way we think it does here on Earth. Um, and if you build a MOND theory, then you can, you can make dark matter disappear. But if but the price you pay for that is that everything else goes out of kilter, and and a lot of other things that we do know with certainty uh, they don't make sense anymore. So um, the modified Newtonian dynamics theory has never found favour, and dark matter uh, remains as the best explanation for the observ observations that astronomers can make. How it you know how it relates to particle physics is really the the big question at the moment. Um, uh, Professor John Butterworth, who's at University College London and works at the Large Hadron Collider, he ha has said, um, and it, this kind of sums it up again, I hate to describe supersymmetry as a zombie theory, but every time we look and we don't find any obvious sign of it, then it becomes a little less plausible. So maybe we've got a zombie theory on our hands, Andrew. Maybe, maybe. But if they ultimately crack it and start peeking into that this mysterious world of dark matter as you said it could open up so many amazing possibilities uh, and discoveries and it, it could just give us that giant leap into the next phase of humanity you just don't know what the possibilities are yeah, exactly that's why it's so exciting it, it, exactly mm. that reason it's not just esoteric you know, a few balmy physicists uh, working in a in a lab in Geneva. It could affect all of us down the track. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, who knows what it could achieve? Interstellar yep. travel yep. over all short of periods right. of time. I mean, you, you just don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, long way off, probably, but just you you don't know that either. No, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Fred. Thank you for uh, joining us again this week. Always a pleasure. Good to talk to you, Andrew. And um, I hope we talk again soon. I look forward to yep. it. That's Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. And from me, Andrew Dunkley, thanks again for listening to our podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends, uh, share it on Facebook, and uh, send us your comments and questions. We always love hearing from you. Until next time, you've been listening to Space Nuts. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audio Boom, and Stitcher, or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Sites.com. 
Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows.